So I'm curious, just a quick show of hands. How many of you have ever uh, crossed an international border, maybe by car? Like maybe you've gone to Mexico or Canada. Just raise your hand real quick. Okay, fair number of you. I mean, we do live in Minnesota. So, um, so I, a few years ago, drove from Durham, North Carolina to Toronto, Ontario in Canada. And what's interesting about Canada is that when you uh, cross this uh, gate, which you'll see there, it's this huge gate that you have to cross to get into the country. And geographically, when you cross that gate, it doesn't really feel like there's a ton that's different right away. Like you might as well still be in New York. But then, you know, I mean, we're just speaking hypothetically here. Um, you know, like a customs agent, it's like you can't take that bag of apples you were going to take with you into Canada because we have apples here too. Or you notice all of a sudden that all the speed limits are in kilometers instead of miles. All the signs are in English and French. The, the money isn't green. It's like all kinds of different colors. And then, with all due respect to our northern neighbors, you start to hear strange words like sorry and a boat, and then like it really hits you. Uh, things are different on the other side of the gate. You have made a really definitive crossing into another country. You are in a place that is a different uh, realm and rule than the one you have come from. This Lent, we are walking through a series of proclamations that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John called the I Am Statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And today, we're going to hear Jesus say, I am the gate. It's a little odd. Even the people that are listening to Jesus, you'll see, are like, we do not understand what you are talking about. But here is a cheat sheet for you that I think is going to help before we dive in. You gotta remember this, pretty much every time Jesus makes an I am statement, he's doing two things. First, he is drawing on some kind of image from the Old Testament that is associated with who God is and what God does in the world. And second, it is an, always an image that is about where true life is found. So in every single one of these statements, Jesus is saying, I'm really God and I am where life is found. And that's what Jesus means whenever he says, I am the gate. Because in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, this image of going through a gate, it's an image of crossing out of danger and into the realm of protection and flourishing of the king. Psalm 118 says, in tight circumstances, I cried out to the Lord. The Lord answered me with wide open spaces. Open the gates of righteousness for me so I can come in and give thanks to the Lord. This is the Lord's gate. Those who are righteous enter through it. And in John 10, where we're going to be today, Jesus uses this image of a gate in connection with the images of sheep talking about how when uh, sheep enter through the gate into the sheep pen, they enter into a place of protection and rest. And what's interesting is that just like gates, this image of sheep and shepherds in the Old Testament is also an image about God's protection and reign and rule for his people. And so in John 10, Jesus is using both of these images, gates and sheep and shepherds, to help us understand that his rule and his lordship in our lives is for our good. Life is going to be really different 
on the other side of this gate, but it is uniquely better than anywhere else because Jesus is the only gate that leads to true life. So I'd invite you to grab one of the Bibles that's in the pews in front of you, or you can follow along here on the screens. We're going to be in John chapter 10, John 10, starting at verse 1. And here in this passage, Jesus is responding to a challenge from the Pharisees about his ministry. So keep that in mind as we read it. John 10, verse 1, starting at the beginning. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of him and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Here's what I was talking about. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So as I said before, Jesus is building on these, this background of images from Israel's scriptures about gates and sheep to make a point that he is the gate that leads to true and abundant life. Now, this is an image of what uh, an ancient sheep pen would have looked like with a simple opening that would have been the way of the gate. And you'll see here that this pen, it's not a cage. And it is also not just boundless open pasture. Sheep aren't made for cages where there is no place to move and eat and grow. And they also aren't made for unguided exposure in open pastures because they are vulnerable. Instead, inside the gate is a place of secure boundaries for the sheep, for their protection from the outside, for their flourishing on the inside. And sometimes even multiple different shepherds would keep all of their sheep together, but to get them into the right pen, the shepherd would do his particular whistle or call or song, and only his sheep would come and follow him to get into the pen. To be inside the gate is to be inside the realm of the protection and blessing of the shepherd, and it's a place where the sheep know their shepherd's voice. So Jesus is super insistent here, very truly, for real, for real, I am the gate. I have come for full life. I am the place of your secure boundaries. And the reason Jesus is so intense about this is because he knows that as human beings, we are all very prone to look for life through all kinds of other gates. 
Jesus knows that we are made for abundant life inside the gate of his protection and reign. But he knows, too, that we, like sheep, are vulnerable to going through other gates that, instead of leading to life, actually lead to cages that constrict us or lead us to unprotected pastures. We are made for true life in Jesus, but we are so vulnerable to looking for it in all the wrong places. And Jesus is so passionate about this because he's actually just seen this play out right in front of him. In John chapter 9, right before this, Jesus heals a beggar who has been born blind. And because the healing was so dramatic, people took notice and they brought the healed man to the religious leaders of their day, the Pharisees, to get him checked out. And by this point in John, we know that the Pharisees are suspicious of Jesus. And so they pressure this healed man over and over again to deny that Jesus is actually the one that has healed him. And the blind man, the healed blind man, he refuses to do this. He has heard the voice of the shepherd. He has walked through that gate and he's not going back. And so then the Pharisees go and they question the man's parents who, about who performed this miracle to heal him. And even the man's parents are so intimidated by the Pharisees that they're like, we don't know anything about it. It says in John 9, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, would be put out of the synagogue. And right there, we see it. Jesus, as the gate to true life, threatens all the other gates that the Jewish religious leaders have set up. Gates of control, gates of religious superiority. They're like, if we can just maintain these gates, then we'll find true life. But actually, their gates have become cages. And rather than act as good shepherds to the people, they have literally started kicking people out of the sheep pen who profess Jesus. It's really easy to pick on the Pharisees. But the truth is, we are all prone to look for life through other gates, whether it's gates of control and moral superiority or something else entirely. The trouble is that these other gates, they're not always like bad things. The Pharisees didn't think they were missing it. They thought they were on the right track. They thought, if we can just get this right, then we will get to life. What is that thing for you that you think, if I can just get this right, then I'll find life. Then I'll be okay. If I can just get to that place, then I'll be good. Then I'll have significance. Maybe it's as long as I get this job. As long as my kids turn out this way. As long as I have kids. As long as I get married as long as I get the raise that I feel like I deserve, as long as I don't have to give up this particular habit, as long as people like me, then I'll find true life. The trouble is, is those other gates, they don't lead to life the way that we think they will. In fact, the more we try to squeeze ourselves through them, the more they squeeze the life out of us. 
Just this week, I was with our CPC local mission team, and we were talking about this. Together, we are reading this great book. It's called The Art of Neighboring. And in the book, they talk about, the authors talk about how so many things get in the way in our lives and crowd out our ability to follow Jesus and loving our neighbors. Especially, they say, these two things, accumulation and accomplishment. Those are two things that crowd out our ability to be good neighbors. These are other gates that we're trying to go through. But what they say is that these gates are insidious. They seem so harmless, but if we leave them unchecked and let them whisper to our minds, they can wreak havoc on our lives. When you believe that true life is to be found on the hamster wheel of obtaining more and winning more, you actually find yourself more and more enslaved towards those things and less and less free for the life-giving things that Jesus most wants for you. So what is your other gate? What thing apart from Jesus are you trying to get through, trying to accomplish or acquire that you think will bring you life? Your other gate might even be a really good thing. But even good things lose their goodness when we get them apart from Jesus. Thankfully, this passage of John 9, it isn't just a picture of people struggling with other gates. It's also a picture of the true life that we enter into when Jesus is our true gate. After getting expelled from the synagogue, Jesus goes and he finds the man that he's just healed. And the man hears Jesus' voice, and he sees Jesus' face, and he simply worships him, and he cries out, Lord, I believe. He is a picture to us of one who has entered through the true gate into the realm of healing and life of the true shepherd. So if you're anything like me, you get to that point, and the question you're asking now is, So how do I enter the gate? There are all these other gates that are calling for my attention. How do I daily choose to enter the gate that is Jesus in order to find life? Tell me how to do it. Like we're all like ready to get that address, plug it into Google Maps, follow the instructions. I'm going to take that all the way home. But this gate is not a set of instructions. This gate is a person. It's Jesus. I am the gate, he says. Which means that this whole business of entering the gate isn't ultimately about what you or I do. It's about what he does for us. He is our secure boundaries. He is our protection. He is our flourishing. An entrance into his pasture, it's way less like a how-to manual that you need to follow, and it's way more like being healed of blindness and being invited to worship. It's exactly what we're doing whenever we gather for worship on days like today. We are remembering that Jesus is our true gate to life, and we are together learning to believe and behold how good Jesus really is and what his voice sounds like. And as we do that, as we experience that healing and that worship that comes when you learn what the voice of Jesus sounds like, a couple things start to happen. 
First, you'll become aware of all the ways that all the other gates are super unsatisfying. You'll become aware that as you live inside the realm of the secure boundaries that Jesus has set for you, not everything gets to come into that place. Other gates get redefined. Other gates even get left behind when we cross through this one. Life in Christ doesn't leave all options on the table for you. And second, you'll see that even though you've left other things behind, even though you no longer seek life in those old places, Jesus really is better. Life in Christ is uniquely better than anything else. It is not a cage, friends. It is true freedom. Psalm 16 puts it like this. You, Lord, are my portion and my cup. You control my destiny. The property lines have fallen beautifully for me. Yes, I have a lovely home. My whole body will rest in safety because you won't abandon my life to the grave. In your presence is total celebration. Beautiful things are always in your right hand. There's a story from the life of an early church father, a guy named Augustine, St. Augustine, that people call him. And this story from his life, I think, really shows these two dynamics going on here, this leaving behind the other gates and this finding true life in Jesus. St. Augustine was a North African bishop. He lived during the 4th and 5th centuries. He wrote the story of his conversion to Christianity in a book called Confessions. It's one of the first Christian autobiographies ever written. And trust me, even though it was written over a thousand years ago, it is shockingly relatable and relevant because it is an intimate account of someone who is really struggling with which gate to walk through in life. You see, before Christ, Augustine's life was really characterized by two gates, the gate of promiscuity and the gate of career ambition. And Augustine really thinks he's going to find life through both of these paths, but the more he seeks after pleasure and the more he seeks after success, the less they satisfy the more he seeks to live beyond the boundaries of Christ's gate, the more enslaved he becomes. And eventually, Augustine hears the testimony of a friend who has found new life in Christ. And, and this testimony, it really shakes him up. It kind of messes with him. It sends him into this super angsty existential crisis. He's wrestling with his thoughts. He feels like he wants to follow Jesus he wants to enter that gate, but he knows he's going to have to radically reorient the way that he relates to his sexuality, the way he relates to his career. Those gates have to be completely redefined or left behind. Promiscuity and workaholism are not things that are going to get to come with him when he crosses that gate. He's going to have to give up treating those like they are true paths to life. And he writes about how in his heart, as he's wrestling with all these thoughts, he hears the voices of the other gates saying things to him like, are you getting rid of us forever? How can you live without us? Your life is going to be super sad if you leave us behind. And right in that moment, he has a vision. It's a vision of a multitude of people, young, old, men, women, children. And he knows that these are all people who have given up something in order to follow Jesus. 
And he's looking at them and he's feeling like, I'm not as good as any of these people. I can't do it. And right then, he hears a different voice. And the voice says this, are you incapable of doing what these men and women have done? Do you think them capable of achieving this by their own resources and not by the Lord their God? Why are you relying on yourself only to find yourself unreliable? Cast yourself upon God. Do not be afraid. He will not withdraw himself so that you fall. Make the leap without anxiety. He will catch you and heal you. Augustine knows that this is the shepherd's voice. And what the shepherd says to Augustine is what Jesus says to all of us when he invites us to enter through him to the true gate. To go through the gate that is Jesus means not everything gets to cross into that with you. It's a definitive change. You go from the realm of one thing into the realm of a new king. But in him, we find the secure boundaries that lead to our healing, our freedom, our true life. And so this Lent, as we journey to the cross, I think we're invited to examine the ways that we have sought life through other gates. And we are invited to behold again and worship the goodness of Jesus, the crucified and risen one, the one before whom all the other gates fall silent. Because Jesus is our true gate. Abundant life is available to us now and secured for us forever. Amen.